Turn to our Bibles in Exodus chapter 26. Exodus chapter 26. And we're going to read from, we're reading a few passages this morning, but this little one, 15, from verse 15. Exodus 26, and from verse 15. And thou shalt make boards for the tabernacle of Shittim word, or acacia word, standing up. Ten cubits shall be the length of a board, and a cubit and a half shall be the breadth of one board. Two tenons shall there be in one board, set in order one against another. Thus shalt thou make it for all the boards of the tabernacle. And thou shalt make the boards for the tabernacle, twenty boards on the south side, southward. And thou shalt make forty sockets of silver under the twenty boards, two sockets under one board for his two tenants and two sockets under another board for his two tenants and for the second side of the tabernacle on the north side there shall be twenty boards and there are forty sockets of silver two sockets under one board and two sockets under another board and for the sides of the tabernacle westward thou shalt make six boards. And two boards shalt thou make for the corners of the tabernacle in the two sides. And they shall be coupled together beneath. And they shall be coupled together above the head of it unto one ring. And thou shall, thus shall it be for them both. They shall for the two corners and they shall be eight boards and their sockets of silver sixteen sockets two sockets under one board and two sockets under another board and thou shalt make bars of uh, shittim wood five for the boards of the one side of the tabernacle and five bars for the boards of the other side of the tabernacle and five bars for the boards of the side of the tabernacle for the two sides westward. And the middle bar in the midst of the board shall reach from end to end. And thou shalt overlay the boards with gold and make their rings of gold for places for the bars. And thou shalt overlay the bars with gold. And thou shalt rear up the tabernacle according to the fashion thereof which was showed thee in the mount. A bit difficult to understand, isn't it? What all these boards were going to do and what it was going to look like. We have been looking over the past few weeks at the tabernacle, the house of God. God had desired to come and dwell with his people in the wilderness and he had arranged it that Moses saw the pattern of the tabernacle when he was with God in the mount. He explained it all to Moses. Moses had seen it. And the important thing was Moses was to build the tabernacle exactly in the way that God had showed him. And we have seen that this is important, that man's idea doesn't come into how we worship God. It's as, it is as how God has directed you and me in the scriptures how we approach God everything at the end of a lot of these descriptions it says as was shown to you 
in the mount. God had a plan as to how he was going to be worshipped. And we have seen as we have looked at the tabernacle how the aspect of Christ is reflected. The glories of Christ, the character of Christ, and what Christ has done for you and for me is reflected in the tabernacle. And now we come to the fact that the, the, we have looked at how the surround was, how the, the altar was made, and what the purpose of the altar was, how the laver was then between... Just push it up here and let you see a little bit of it here. We have the, the, the surround around here, and we have the, the, the brazen altar where the Israelites were allowed to come with their offerings and offer a lamb or, or whatever was specified for a sin offering and for their sins which they had committed. But that was as far as the average Israelite was allowed to go. Beyond that there was the laver and we, we saw last week where the laver speaks to us of being washed by the word. Jesus said, now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. And the priests were only allowed to go beyond this part here. The average man was not allowed to go. But now we, when we become Christians, the scripture tells us that we have become kings and priests unto God. God recognizes you and me when we become Christians that we are priests. And therefore we have the right to go beyond that sacrifice there and on into the holy place as the priests were allowed to do. But before a priest could go in to offer service to God, he had to wash himself daily. Before he did any service, he had to keep going back to the labor to confess his sins. We go through a, a world which is sinful. We are constantly uh, muddied by sin. We, we sin daily in our lives we have to keep going back not to the altar not to where our sins were forgiven and Christ has forgiven our sins no we go back to be washed by the word of God at the laver and so now we come to the main building here which was the sanctuary and we're looking at how this was constructed and what lessons we can learn from the construction of that building the, the building was, this is a blow up of the, of the building. They were made of these planks. It looks that this man thinks, and I think probably too, that they were more like piers rather than planks. We think of a plank as being sort of long and thin in, in, in its breadth and, and height, but no, I think they were squarer than that. Each plank was about 15 or 16 feet high and was approximately 28 inches in width. They stood side by side and they were erected standing up side by side and then they were in sockets of silver, the silver bases, and they had two tenons which went down into the silver bases and each pier had two bases underneath it. Now these bases were, were very big. They weighed about a hundred weight, each silver base. 
and they were all interlinked. They were all joined together. We, it's, we're talking about those rings that were in it. There were rings along the side, and there were bars that went along longitudinally through all the rings, joining the whole thing together. And then there was another bar on the inside, and we'll see about that later, that ran the full length of the tabernacle as well, or the sanctuary. So it was all close together. There were piers down this side and piers down this side, all joined together. The front had these holding up the curtain at the front. And then halfway through, we have the veil leading into the Holy of Holies. And it was held up with four piers inside. And they had golden hooks. And all this wood which was used was all surrounded by gold. Must have been wonderful inside. When you think of all that gold inside the, the, the sanctuary. Incredible. The golden altar. The, everything was gold. Not only was it a house of God, but it was a house of gold. All these piers were made of acacia wood or shittim wood. And they were, as I say, about 15 or 16 feet high. It all depends on what you regard the length of a cubit. Most people think it's about 18 inches, but uh, some think it's a little bit more. But that's immaterial. It was about 15 or 16 uh, feet high, and the, the, the piers in, in width were about 28 inches, 2 foot 4, 2 foot 5. You know, all this was made of timber surrounded by gold. The wood it, people think represents Christ's humanity. Christ's humanity. He was he came down to this earth and he lived as a perfect man. That day it says in Isaiah there shall be a root of Jesse which shall stand for an ensign of the people. So to it shall the Gentiles seek and his rest shall be glorious. And Paul in Romans, he repeats that. In Romans 15 verse 12 he says, There shall be a root of Jesse. In Isaiah 53, that verse, He shall grow up before him as a tender plant, as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him there is no beauty that we should desire him. Christ's humanity is represented here. And then it was all surrounded by gold. Amazing. The amount of gold that must have been used in the, the construction of this building. Everything was surrounded by gold. How impressive it must have looked. How, how wonderful. But you know the gold was only seen by the priests. That was the beauty. The beauty of the Lord Jesus Christ can only be appreciated by those who have come in simple faith and trust and get to know him. The depth of beauty in him. You know, gold is used a lot in scripture to, to get over the, the feeling of the wonder and beauty of God. But you know, gold has been one of those things, hasn't it? Which has caused more strife in the world. Gold bullion robberies. 
man's greed for gold all the, the westerns we see are all about the gold rush and all the problems that gold has brought into the world if you look to Revelation chapter 3 we have Jesus speaking to the churches in Revelation and the church of Laodicea they thought they were pretty good they thought they had made it they were rich because they said thou sayest I am rich and increased with the 317 I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing so like many people today they're self-made but you don't know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked how sad they thought they had need of nothing they were a church that was self-contained and they had a good opinion of themselves but Jesus said you don't know that you're poor and miserable and wretched and you're blind what did he counsel them he says I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich oh we need to, to look at Christ and see the riches in him and seek to have those riches applied to us in our lives day by day then he says that thou mayest buy of me white raiment the righteousness the robe of righteousness which we as Christians get when we become Christians Christ surrounds us with a robe of righteousness and when God looks down he doesn't see you and me he sees the righteousness of Christ then he says an eye salve oh he says your eyes your eyes are not seeing the beauty of Jesus you need your eyes readjusted I want, to, I want to touch their eyes so that they, they may see the things of eternity and the eternal matters and not be looking around at the things of the world. Seek after the riches which Christ alone can supply. He says, I want you to buy that there may us be rich. Buy. How do we buy it? Well, the great thing, you know, if you look at Isaiah talking about much the same idea he says ho everyone that thirsteth come ye to the waters and he that hath no money come ye buy and eat yea come buy wine and milk without money and without price wherefore do ye spend money on that which is not bread and thy labour on that which satisfieth not eat that which is good and let your soul delight in fatness why do we spend our time going after those things which don't satisfy come and buy come and buy but it doesn't cost us it cost the Lord Jesus Christ so much but we can go and buy without money and without price don't spend your time Isaiah saying running around trying to buy things which don't satisfy come and drink at the water of life freely the wonderful thing is that gold is used as a picture for our benefit for our finite minds to to realize the wonder and the beauty and the glory of God the divinity the purity the beauty the majesty 
of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why it's used. So that our minds can get a picture of what the Lord Jesus Christ really is like. However, you know, when we get to heaven, when we get to heaven, we'll see Christ in all his beauty. We won't need gold to give us a picture. We'll see Christ face to face. We'll see him in all his majesty and his beauty and his glory. And we won't need gold to give us that picture. You know, in heaven, gold isn't worth anything. They use it like tarmacadam. It's for the roads. The roads are made of gold. But we get hung up on gold down here. But it says, get your mind sorry, get your minds on things above. We want to see Jesus in all we, we pray that and we that we want to see Jesus in all his glory, high and lifted up. Heaven's values are not our values, but we want to get heaven's values into our lives. You know, set your affection on things above. Not on things down here on the earth. Here, gold speaks of Christ's divine glory, which was there in the sanctuary. God wanted a dwelling so that he could dwell with man. Gold speaks of heaven. <clears throat> so we have Christ's humanity and his divinity portrayed in this building. In 1 Timothy 3.16, without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. God manifest in the flesh, in Christ. Justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. Emmanuel, Christmas, Emmanuel, God with us. God was dwelling with his people in the sanctuary, God has come to dwell with you and me. Many people acknowledge Christ's humanity today. They say he was a great uh, speaker, a great preacher, a great moralist. But they don't recognize the glories, the wonders of his divinity. We too are earthly. You know, in some ways... We're like planks. We're like these planks as well. We're earthly. Living on this earth. But we are encouraged in scripture. To put on. The righteousness of Christ. Isaiah 61 and verse 10. We sing this. As a chorus don't we. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God for he hath clothed me with the garments of salvation he hath covered me with the robe of righteousness we are covered with the garments of salvation we are covered with the robe of righteousness and as the wood was covered with gold it was in the gold it was surrounded by the gold so a believer is in Christ we are in Christ. And we're surrounded by his robe of righteousness. Colossians 3, 1-3. It says, if 
ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. That's what we've been saying. Seek the things which are above, for Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. We could live, if we could get that into our heads, set our affection on things above and not on the things around us. Jesus said, where our, where our treasure is, there will our heart be also. If our treasure is in heaven, if we really believe that, our heart should be there. And Paul is just reiterating what Christ has said. Set your affection on things above and not on things on the earth. And this is it. For ye are dead. We should be dead to the world. I remember driving along with a friend of mine in Dublin years and years ago. And another Christian fellow walked out in front of the car. And I said, look, he's dead to the world. And he said, so we should be. I remember meeting another old fellow down the street, the main street. And uh, I said to him, oh, I didn't see you, I was dead to the world. And he said, I'm alive unto righteousness. Yeah. <laughs> he's a lovely old man. But you know, that's the way we should be dead to the world. We should assume that we are dead to the desires and pleasures of the world. And it says, for ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. Our lives are hid in Christ. We're surrounded. We're in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if any man be in Christ, in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And so, God dwells in each believer. It's a wonderful thought, isn't it? God dwells within us. He wanted to dwell with the Israelites, and they had to, to, to build this tabernacle for him. That was his desire. At the very start, we saw that when he spoke to Moses, he said, I want to come and dwell amongst these people. Well, that's what he's done with you and me. He's come and he's dwelt within us. These blanks were standing side by side they made up the house of God these planks all joined together they made up the house of God similarly God has established his church down here on earth a body of believers standing side by side or we should be standing side by side Hebrews 3 and verse 6 but Christ as a son over his own house whose house are we if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of hope unto the end the church is God's dwelling in this world 2 Corinthians 6.16 6, And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. The people of God are the temple of God. Now, as we said at the start, no one except the priests were allowed to go into the house of God. 
and this house was holy, and those who entered had to keep themselves pure by going constantly to the laver for cleansing. Remember, if we are to be of service to God, we must be washed daily by his word. Reading it and allowing it to speak to us before we are fit to do service for the master in this world. There were four bars went along the side here. On the outside. Holding all these things together. There were rings and these four bars went and they held the whole thing together. The early church were united, you know, on four principles. There were four principles that the early church was united with. And look, look, turn to Acts 2 and verse 42. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. These four things that were holding the church, the sanctuary together, there are four things that the early church taught their followers, the people who had were members of the church. There were four things. They four aspects and what did they do it says those that received the word were baptized in the same way were added unto those 3,000 souls and they continued steadfastly and that word there steadfastly means they, they gave it unremitting care unremitting care they were careful they continued with unremitting care to obey the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayers. The apostles' doctrine. How sad we see today. When you mention doctrine, people say that doctrine divides. But it was the thing that kept the early church together. The thing that kept the early church together was the apostles' doctrine. People are accused of dividing because they look to the apostles' doctrine. Paul writing in Romans, he said, I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions. Mark those. But it goes on. And offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned and avoid them avoid them if somebody is not prepared to listen to sound doctrine Paul is saying mark those people and avoid them for they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ but their own belly and by their good words and fair speeches Yes, they, they, they may have good words. They may be very good speakers. They, they may do good works. But they will deceive the simple, he says. They deceive the simple. Writing to the Thessalonians in Second Thessalonians 3.6, he says, Now, we command you, brethren, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that ye withdraw yourselves from every brother 
that walketh disorderly, yes, we're all happy with that. If a brother is, is not walking in fellowship with God and walking disorderly, and it's fairly obvious from his life, yes, withdraw. And not after the tradition which ye have received. Keep away from people like that, he's saying. And there are lots of more verses on that theme, but we won't labor the point. In Galatians, he said, you were running well. What hindered you? Why have you gone astray? Why have you strayed from the doctrine, the apostles' doctrine? He said to them, even if another angel comes, an angel comes and preaches a different gospel than the one you have received, don't listen to them. They're cursed. If you don't preach the gospel in accordance with the doctrine of the apostles, even if an angel comes and preaches, he says, they are cursed. And then he says, and here's the problem, a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. Once you're cooking, and if you put a little bit of yeast into the loaf, it'll spread throughout the whole loaf. And it'll make the whole loaf affected by the leaven. Leaven speaks of sin. And he says, a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. That's the problem with you Galatians. You let a little bit of false doctrine in, and it has spread throughout the whole church. Beware. And you know, for those who are prepared to stand up and teach in any way, there's a very serious warning in Nahum. It says, the shepherds slumber and the sheep are scattered. The shepherds were slumbering and the sheep, the flock, was scattered. Ezekiel 33, there are a couple of verses there which are such a warning. And you, son of man, I have set you a watchman to the house of Israel. Therefore, you shall hear the word from my mouth and warn them from me. Or if we, if we see error creeping in, we should warn. Because in Ezekiel 33 and verse 6, the verse before that, it says, If the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet and the people are not warned, and if the sword comes and takes any person from among them, he is taken away in his iniquity, I will require the blood of that person at the watchman's hand. Isaiah said, Your watchmen are blind. They're not speaking up. He says they're dumb dogs. They're not prepared to speak up. Woe unto the pastors that destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, says the Lord. And so on. We, as I say, we could labor that point, but the point is we have to stay within the apostles' doctrine. Time is moving on. The next thing he says, you have to stay in fellowship. Fellowship. And that's lovely. How pleasant it is when brethren dwell in fellowship, the psalmist says, doesn't he? And let us consider one another to provoke unto love, it says in Hebrews, and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. 
We're to be exhorters. Have we exhorted anybody last week? <laughs> and so much the more when we see the day approaching. As we see the day of the Lord coming, we see the time when the Lord will come back again is getting closer and closer. He says, exhort, encourage the people around you. We all need fellowship. And in the breaking of bread, the third thing, there was the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, breaking of bread. As we come and remember the Lord in the breaking of bread. He said, do this in remembrance of me. And that's what we're doing. We're remembering what he has done for us at the cross of Calvary. And he is the one who says, remember me. He said to the disciples that morning, do you remember, come, come and eat. You know, he said, uh, he had prepared a meal for them. And he has invited us to come and break bread together. To remember him. And lastly, they, they said, and in prayer. Prayers. Not only in, we're told to go into our closet and, and close the door and pray. But prayers here was with our families in the church. Public prayers. They observed all opportunities of this kind. And gladly embraced them. Let us, as a fellowship of God's people, small here, seek to emulate what the early church, what held together the early church, those four bars along the side of the sanctuary, holding together the, 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 the pillars of the sanctuary. And these four pillars were the things that held the early church together. Let us do the same. They continued steadfastly, Nobody was going to divert them from the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. But you know, those were seen from the outside. But inside there was another bar ran along, which was seen by the priests as they went about their worship. There was a bar which ran along the inside. It was also, of course, covered in gold. And it joined all to all, it joined them all together but it was seen within the sanctuary and what joins you know the, those things are the doctrines outside but inside the church what's joining us together you know if you look at Colossians 3 and verse 12 therefore as the elect of God holy and beloved it tells us what we should do we have to put on tender feelings of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind. could live like this, we'd be very good. Meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, and forgiving. If anyone has a complaint against any, as Christ forgave you, so also do you. And above all these things, put on love which is the bond of perfectness. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which you also are called in one body. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, in all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your heart to the Lord. And everything, whatever you do in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father 
by him. He says, above all, have love, which is the bond. Now, I'm, I'm a surveyor, but when my grandfather, who was a, a small builder years ago, used to bring me around Dublin and show all the houses that they had built. And he used to explain to me about the brickwork. And I was only a little nipper. I didn't know what he was talking about. But I do now. Because when you're building brickwork, you have to build it. You just put a pile of bricks one on top of the other. They'd all fall down because you'd have straight joints and things. You have to bond them. They have to go a certain way. You know, a head or a stretcher, a head or a stretcher, and a closer, and all the rest of it. And it bonds it all together. There's English bond and Flemish bond and garden wall bonds and a whole lot of other bonds. But they're all different kinds of bonds, and they're all holding the whole body of the wall together. There's a bond. And what is the bond, Paul's saying in Colossians, what's the bond which binds everything together? It's love. That love which we have for the Lord and the love which we should have then for the people around us. Exodus 26. Go back to Exodus. And we read these verses. The house of God was erected. And you know, the, the thing about the sanctuary and the thing about this whole thing about the tabernacle, it had to be a prefab. It had to be uh, able to be moved around. It had to be erected. And as it was being erected, it was not possible to dig out foundations. They, didn't, they weren't able to dig out foundations in the desert. But God had thought about this. And the foundations consisted of two blocks of silver under each plank. There were two blocks of silver. Now, each one weighed about 100 weight. I mean, it's, it's incredible. 80 or 90 pounds, maybe, a little bit more, of each of those. So under each of those, there were two blocks of silver. And each of these had, uh, had each of the boards had two tenons in them, two jutting out pieces at the bottom and they sat into holes in the silver block underneath the board and you know I was thinking of our foundation foundation which we have we have a double security John chapter 10 28 and I'll give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man shall be able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. We are founded on the Word of God. I'm, you know, my hope, I'm standing on the Word of God. That's our foundation. We have to have a foundation. Where did all this come from? All this silver? Where did all the silver come from? Well, when the Israelites had left Egypt, they had denuded the Egyptians of a lot of their, their silver and their jewels. They were so glad to get rid of them, they gave them presents to get out of the country. They all got this silver and gold and they took it with them. They impoverished the nation practically on leaving showered these gifts on them if you look at Exodus 30 you can see how Moses got that that stuff from them 
for the use in the God's house. Verse 11. The Lord spake unto Moses when thou takest the sum of the children of Israel. He said, I want you to, to number the children of Israel. All the men between 20 and 50 have to be, you have to number all these people. And when they come to be checked in, each one has to bring some silver with them. The price paid was the same for everybody. The rich people brought the same amount as the poor people. And the amount was half a shekel. And I worked that out. It was the equivalent weight of about 160 grains of barley. It was very little. But they all brought the same amount. And it was called atonement silver. They all paid it. It was, if you read it when you go home, it was a redemption. It talks about redeeming the, the males. And each one came with that, and that silver which was used was put to use under each one of the peers. We are all atoned in exactly the same way. The whole church of Christ is based on the same foundation. That silver foundation was under the sanctuary. And the basis of our relationship with God is that we have been redeemed by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. But the, the price was paid was for all. The whole church is based on the same foundation. What did Paul say? No other foundation can man lay than that which is laid Jesus Christ. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. No righteousness in me is found except upon redemption ground. Redemption ground, the ground of peace. Each board had to rest on the foundation. We are resting on the foundation of the Lord Jesus Christ and then we build on top of that. Silver is used in scripture as a means of purchase. Joseph was sold to the slaves for 20 pieces of silver. Jesus was sold for 30 pieces of silver. People bought fields and things for by, by silver. The bones of Joseph, when they took him out of Egypt, they bought a bit of land and they bought it with, with pieces of silver. But thankfully... We are not redeemed by silver and gold. And this is finally. 1 Peter 18 verse 19. For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things such as silver and gold. From your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers. Oh yes, the way of life that they had was vain. And we're not redeemed that way, Peter was telling them. But you're redeemed by the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. We have been redeemed by Christ. Christ has died and we are redeemed. We are God's building. Both individually and collectively. Is the building. Either individually or collectively. Is it a fit place? in which God wishes to dwell.